Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatched, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And today, I think we'll just call this installment of Double-Edged Sword Ashes to Ashes because we're going to talk about cremation and sort of tangentially then, you know, we have to talk about funeral rites that kind of go along with that. And what I'm going to do in the first part of the program is just kind of go over some of the church's documentation and, and teachings that we have as well as um, the, the big part of our Catholic devotion to giving the dead a, a decent burial and things like that actually, I think, goes back to the Old Testament and goes to the book of Tobit. And then we'll be looking at some of that as well. I'll explain some of that as we go along the way. So the first part of the program, we'll just kind of do the printed stuff on the that we have from the Code of Canon Law, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, from the, the, the book that we have for funeral rituals, and also then from the Book of Tobit. And then the second part of the program, we'll just kind of try to do some practical applications of this. And I'll, I'll share some stories, some of them kind of comical, but some of them, you know, almost um, tragic in their comedy or comic in their tragedy, depending on how we look at it, of just goofy things that happens, you know, kind of as a result of cremations, and then hopefully, you know, we'll pull all this together to where it'll make some sense in the end. So to begin with, I think that probably what we want to look at, let's kind of go back to the, you know, ancient, ancient times, and um, talking about, you know, why is it that we make such a fuss over the burial of the dead. I mean, why can't it just be sort of a, you know, kind of like taking out the garbage? You know, you have you have something that no longer works. Why not just throw it out? Well, you know, of course, um, these are the bodies of our loved ones. And I think that especially, you know, if you have someone who's recently died and, um, you know, they, it's like, well, you know, that looks like my mother. That looks like my father. Or, you know, tragically, that looks like my son or my daughter or something, you know. And so, you know, since we knew these people when they were alive, um, their bodies are, are reminders of us, of those people and everything they meant to us. So, of course, we want to treat them with dignity and respect. But if we go back to the book of Tobit, in um, the year 721 B.C., because of a bunch of bad things that happened after King Solomon died, there was the people in Israel called Jeroboam. Um, Jeroboam took 10 tribes of Israel. I'm making this very, very brief. If you want to read the whole thing, go to the first book of Kings. But um, the Jeroboam, after Solomon dies, decides that, well, you know, there's not much use in staying on with the kingdom of Israel because um, Rehoboam, um, Jeroboam, Solomon's son, wants to keep soaking people with high taxes and, um, and also then, you know, putting them into forced labor for government projects and so on. And so Jeroboam says, well, to heck with this. We're out of here. And so they, they all, the, the ten, 10 tribes, the 10 northern tribes in, the, in what's called the kingdom of Israel, as opposed to the southern kingdom of Judah, they secede, kind of like the Civil War. They secede from the Union. And, um, and over time, they ended up getting taken over by the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians are pretty brutal. Um, they kill people and not give it a second thought. And what had happened was, was that when um, Jeroboam took the, the northern tribes aside and had them worshiping the golden calf again, he kind of got them back into their old habits. Uh, you know, we read about this in Exodus 32 when, um, they wanted to build, when they wanted to build a golden calf, when Aaron made them a calf and said, here are your gods, O Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so, you know, the, the Hebrew people evidently just always had this terrible temptation and penchant for idolatry. And so now... In 721 BC, when um, you know, the, well, a little bit before that, the, the you know the kingdom splits in two. But after that, in 721, the Assyrian Empire just descends upon what's left of the northern kingdom of Israel, and then takes all these people into exile, um, takes all the the Israelites into exile. And um, by that time, they were used to worshiping foreign gods anyway, so they just worship the gods of the of the Assyrians, so it doesn't matter. And they're just kind of lost to history. But as is often the case, there's always a faithful holdout. In this case, it was it was um, good old Tobit. And, um, and in, in the book of Tobit, in chapter 1, we'll just read a few verses here. Tobit says, During um, Shalmaneser's reign, that he was one of the kings of Assyria, I performed many charitable works for my kinsmen and my people. I would give my bread to the hungry, my clothing to the naked. If I saw one of my people who had died and been thrown outside the walls of Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, I would bury him. I also buried anyone whom Sennacherib, who was one of the Assyrians, whom Sennacherib slew when he returned as a fugitive from Judea that in the days of judgment um, decreed against him by the heavenly king because of the blasphemies he had uttered. In his rage, he killed many Israelites, but I used to take their bodies by stealth and bury them. So when Sennacherib looked for them, he could not find them. 
But a certain citizen of Nineveh informed the king that it was I who buried the dead. When I found out the king knew about me and wanted me and wanted to put me to death, I went into hiding, and in my fear I took flight. Afterwards, all of my property was confiscated, and I was left with nothing. All that I had was taken to the king's palace, except for my wife Anna and my son Tobiah. So anyway, so here we have in the first book of in, in the first chapter of the book of Tobit, and that was verse sixteen and following. We have the story of, of Tobiah, you know, the, the the father, and his pious act of burying the dead. He would go find those folks who, I mean, I, I suppose their bodies would just lay out in the field and rot, and the animals eat him or something. And so, um, but Tobiah would go and get these people and, and give, try to give them as decent a burial as he could. At least he would bury them and get them put in the ground. And so I think this is kind of the beginning of, you know, where we sort of see the, the heroic act and um, the great nobility that there is in to bury the dead. Um, you might remember in our, we have our spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And one of our corporal works of mercy is to bury the dead. One of the spiritual works of mercy is to pray for the dead. And, um, and so, you know, again, the, we don't really have a list of... Um, of corporal works of mercy, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say these are the corporal works of mercy, but the corporal works of mercy of feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, you know, that all comes from Matthew 25, when Jesus says, I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, um, I was in prison and sick and you took care of me and so on. So some of those um, corporal works of mercy come from from Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about who's going to be rewarded and who's going to be punished at the end of the world. Those who saw to the needs of the poor will be, will be rewarded. Those who ignored the needs of the needy will be punished. But then, you know, we also have from the book of Tobit, again, this, this practice of um, really kind of taking the, the responsibility for the burial of the dead to be something very serious, which, of course, you know, as Christians, we do. And so... Um, I think, you know, kind of with that in mind, you know, the, that's, you know, I think that's probably sort of lays the um, foundations for our, our very pious Christian devotion of having, you know, wakes and funeral services and burials and, and all those things that we do to show, you know, our respect for our beloved dead. Then, but later on, when we go into, like, for example, in the Code of Canon Law, and the code of, this is the, from the revised 1983 Code of Canon Law, so, I mean, that's been revised 30-some years ago. And what the Code of Canon Law does, it doesn't really try to go into any, you know, particular detail about stuff. It sort of gives us some, you know, general guidelines as to how we're supposed to do things. And then it's the job of the canon lawyers. We have a number of canon lawyers in our diocese. It's the job of the canon lawyers then to apply the law in, in a way that's consistent with other things, such as the scriptures, the catechism, and what I'm going to call the sacred books. And the sacred books are basically the books that we use for saying mass, the, you know, the funeral book, the, the bishop's book that he has that has the rituals in it for confirmations and ordinations and things like that. In fact, the Code of Canon Law, um, very early in the code, very specifically says that, you know, in, in so many words, it says, you know, we, the people that put the Code of Canon Law together, tried to make sure that what the Code of Canon Law says and what the holy books say are on the same page. But in the event that we miss something and the code of canon law is in conflict with something that the holy books say, the holy books take precedence. In other words, the holy books would trump canon law, and canon law says so. Okay, So when, when we look in um, the code of canon law, the code of canon law says precious little about cremation. Um, in Canon 1176, in Section 1, it says the Christian faithful departed are to be given ecclesiastical funeral rites according to the norm of law. Then Section 2 says, through ecclesiastical funeral rites, the church asks spiritual assistance for the departed, honors their bodies, and at the same time brings solace of, ho of hope to the living. Such rites are to be celebrated according to the normal liturgical laws. Again, there's that deference to what's in the holy books, the normal liturgical laws. Now, here is the only thing canon law says about cremation. Here it comes. The church earnestly recommends that the pious custom of burying the bodies of the dead be observed. It does not, however, forbid cremation as long as it has been chosen for reasons which are contrary to Christian teachings. Okay, and so in other words, what what happened was back in the old days, you know, back in the days of the of the, of the barbarian invasions of the Roman Empire and so on. This is when Christianity is just, just kind of getting started, and the barbarians would come in and you know, you know, the the Goths and the Visigoths and the you know Attila the Hun and that whole bunch, you know, they would come in. And in an attempt to kind of break the spirit of the folks there, they would say, oh, you know, you Christians, how you believe in the resurrection of the body, huh? And they would take their local priest or local bishop, they would kill him, cremate him, and then come back and toss the ashes into the wind and say, well, you know, how's your God going to resurrect this? 
Okay, And that left a pretty good scar on the Christian psyche. And so what the church says to this day is, as long as cremation is not being done to deny the resurrection of the dead, it is permitted. Although, you know, the full burial of of a body in the ground is to be preferred. Now, again, you know, that's what the Code of Canon Law says. When we look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Again, the Catechism says precious little about cremation. All it says is this. This is in paragraph 301. At first, it talks about autopsies. It says, autopsies can morally be permitted for legal inquest or scientific research. The free gift of organs after death is legitimate and can be meritorious. So, autopsies and organ donation, you know, the church is good with that. Then, again, just kind of echoing what the Code of Canon Law says. The church permits cremation, provided it does not demonstrate a denial of faith in the resurrection of the body. Now, in a certain sense, that's kind of a, I don't know, I want to say a pointless argument, but it's kind of a circular argument, because in this, in this sense, if someone wants to deny the resurrection of the body, which is part of the creed, right? It's at the very end of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. It's part of our creed. Okay, well, if someone doesn't want to believe in the resurrection of the body, why do they want a Catholic funeral ritual? In which case, they're outside of the Catholic purview anyway, so what difference does it make? That's my point. But anyway... We see, though, that the Code of Canon Law and the, and the Catechism both very clearly say that as, as long as the cremation is not being done to deny the resurrection of the body, that it's permitted. Okay, well, that pretty much solves that. Now, this comes from the book, you know, from the funeral book. This comes from the book that you see the priest holding during funeral masses, and in it, there's a whole bunch of instructions. All right. And in the most recent one, they just took our same old funeral literature that we've been using, but they added a, a second appendix to it. And then the appendix can, includes the instructions and the rituals for what to do when you have cremation, when you have an urn full of ashes there instead of a casket with a body in it. And, um, and in paragraph 413, it says, although cremation is now permitted by the church, it does not enjoy the same value as burial of the body. Okay. The church clearly prefers and urges that the body of the deceased be present for the funeral rites, since the presence of the human body better expresses the values that the church affirms in those rites. Okay, so what the church is saying is, is that if you have you know, the body, the embalmed body in the casket, you know, that people see that, and then that visual connection that we make with death, then helps, you know, the rituals, the funeral, the Catholic funeral rituals are better connected with that, okay? Then this is the next paragraph, 414. The church's teaching in regard to the human body, as well as the church's preference for the burial of the body, should be a regular part of catechesis in all levels, and pastors should make particular efforts to preserve this important teaching, which is what I'm doing now, okay? You're just reminding people that while, while cremation is allowed, it is not it isn't to say that cremation is bad. It just says the church prefers the in-ground burial of, of the person's body. Then 415 says, Sometimes, however, it is not possible for the body to be present for the funeral mass. When extraordinary circumstances make cremation of the body the only feasible choice, pastoral sensitivity must be exercised by priests, de- deacons, and others who minister to the family of the deceased. Okay, so we can see there again the ritual, which again is going gonna, is gonna to have the last word. You know, the holy books are going to eclipse canon law, probably going to eclipse the catechism as well. And in, in which case, you know, the church is basically saying very clearly that, you know, cremation is permitted. But the, the burial of, the, of a body, you know, rather than having a, you know, an urn full of ashes, having a casket with a body in it to take to the cemetery to put in the ground, that that is preferable. Okay, so one of the other things here that the, that the church says then in paragraph 4, 417, paragraph 416 talks about um, remembering the dead and All Souls Day, you know, and things like that. But then in 417, this is very important. The cremated remains of a body should be treated with the same respect given to the human body from which they came. This includes the use of a worthy vessel to contain the ashes, the manner in which they are carried, the care and attention to appropriate placement, transport, and final disposition. The cremated remains should be buried in a grave or entombed in a mausoleum or columbarium. The practice of scattering cremated ashes on the sea, from the air or on the ground, or keeping cremated remains in the home of a relative or friend of the deceased are not the reverent disposition which the church requires. 
whenever possible, appropriate means of recording with dignity the memory of the deceased person should be adopted, such as a plaque or stone which records the name of the deceased. All right. So that paragraph 417, that's pretty darn important because um, what we're going to talk about in the second part of the program here, once we can sort of get the get the official stuff out of the way, is just sort of, you know, goofy things. Goofy things that people do with ashes. And we'll, well, again, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the second part of the program. But again, that paragraph 417, I'm going to go through this, you know, kind of piece by piece here, and then we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. It says, the cremated remains of a body should be treated with the same respect given to the human body from which they came. All right. In other words, when you have an urn or you have, you know, someone makes a box or whatever, and it's full of the ashes of the person that died. Well, then, you know, that urn or that box full of ashes should be treated with the same reverence that you would treat a human body. Because you might notice that, you know, when people have ashes, um, you know, since... I call it the goo factor or the ick factor. I mean, let's just face it. When you have a dead body, even if the dead body is embalmed, you know, embalming is only going to kind of stave off um, the effects of decay. It doesn't, it doesn't preserve a body forever. Um, you know, we're very fortunate with our, with our modern embalming techniques, you know, that we can buy, I don't know, probably a week to 10 days of time that allows the family to get together and, you know, see their loved one one more time before they put them in the ground until the resurrection. And so... You know, you might notice that whenever we have a body there and, you know, at the, at the funeral home and at the church and everything, you know, if, you, if you've been to funerals where there's a body and where there's an urn, you have to have been able to sense the difference. You know, when there is a body there, there's kind of a more subdued, solemn tone to things. You know, people are, you tend to be more reverent, more pious, more respectful. All right. And so what the church is saying is we have to give that same reverence and respect to you know the ashes that we would to the body and so again it says this includes the use of a worthy vessel to contain the ashes in the manner okay so a worthy vessel now this doesn't mean we have to go out and get a gold you know vase or something you know but it, it's just it needs to be something worthy something dignified i mean there's all kinds of things you know the funeral directors at the funeral homes they have all kinds of nice little urns and things like that you can you know people make them i've, I've done funerals for you know there was there was a gentleman some time ago that you know in his wood shop he made his own urn he made a little wooden box and he says, these are from my ashes when I'm dead. And his family kept them and they used it for his funeral. Nothing wrong with that. It was made out of oak and, you know, it was dignified. Okay. And again, dignified does not mean expensive. Dignified does not mean gaudy or bling or anything like that. Dignified means dignified. Okay. Um, then once the ashes are in that container, it says the manner in which they are carried and the care and attention appropriate of placement, transport, and final disposition. In other words, you know, when we have the, the urn, when they're carried into the church and carried out of the church, they should be carried in some kind of solemn profession, not just tucked under someone's arm who's hauling them out like they're carrying a bowling ball or something like that, all right? Then it says the cremated remains should be buried in a grave or entombed in a mausoleum or columbarium, all right? This is the, well, I'll just do the second line too because it really kind of backs the first one up. The practice of scattering cremated remains on the sea, from the air, or on the ground, or keeping cremated remains in the home of the relative or a friend of the deceased are not the reverent disposition the church requires. Okay, this goes back to, again, our fundamental principle that the cremated remains of a body should be treated the same as a human body. Now, again, this sounds kind of gross, but it makes the point. You might notice that at the at you know whenever you have a funeral, you take the body and you put it into the ground, you know because again the embalming, no matter how good it is, eventually is going to fail and you're going to have a rotten human body on your hands and you don't want that, so we bury them in the ground. It's you know for sanitation and reverence and a whole bunch of other reasons. The church is saying that we have to treat ashes the same way. Now, this is a little bit more difficult. You know, it, it, it isn't something that's going to be imposed upon us by nature because the ashes are totally, you know, antiseptic. In the cremation process, all the water, all the fat, all the bacteria and stuff has all been, you know, vaporized off. And so all there is left is, you know, five, six, seven pounds of calcium, iron, you know, just the minerals that, that make up a human body, you know, the copper, the, you know, just the various um, elements and stuff that don't burn. And so, um, and there's no, you know, there's no germs, they're not going to rot, you know, and so, you know, they're, they're pretty much antiseptic by the time you get them. And so then that leaves it open to all kinds of strange things that you can, well, I'll talk about a little bit more in the second part of the program. But, um, 
the idea, though, is is that you know we have to treat those ashes the same way we would treat a body. All right. And again, I'll talk. To, I'll, I'll tell in the second part of the program. We'll tell some more stories about that. Anyway. The other thing, then, just before we break here, that I would that I would bring up is, you know, people talk about cremation, and they go, well, isn't it cheaper than a funeral? Well, well, it can be. If, if someone, you know, dies at the hospital, and you call your funeral director up and say, come and get mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever, cremate them, and tell me when the ashes are done, and I'll come by your office and pick them up, you know, you'll get off, you know, a, you know fairly inexpensively doing that. Um, but if you want to have any kind of a memorial service or, you know, sometimes, you know, what you can do is you can you can have the person embalmed. Um, the, the funeral homes have caskets they will rent to you and you can have a vigil service the night before. They will take the person to the church for the funeral for the funeral mass. And then instead of going to the cemetery afterwards, they just go back to the crematory, take the person out of the out of the rental casket, and then slide them into the oven, into the into the cremation oven, and cremate them. And then instead of going to the cemetery, just come back and get the ashes. Well, the thing is, is a lot of times people sit there and they think, well, you know, funerals are too expensive, and all this, that, and the other. I would take a few minutes here to say a few words in in defense of our funeral directors, especially the ones we have here in Hayes, who I'm, I'm working, who I worked with a lot. I imagine you know, Great Bend area is probably the same way. But, you know, here in Hayes, we are very blessed to have um, funeral directors that are very hardworking, dedicated, ethical people. You know, in, in some of the bigger cities, and again, this isn't to say that, you know, anyone's good or bad. But in the bigger cities, you know, if you call the funeral home, you know, these really huge funeral homes, you're going to talk to one person. Another person's going to come and pick up your loved one. Um, another person, you know, might embalm them and things like that. And so, you know, since, these, since some of these funeral homes are so big, you know, you have to have different people doing different jobs. In Hayes, we have what are called working funeral directors. And what this means is, is that when your loved one dies at 2.30 in the morning in the hospital and you call the funeral director or if the hospital calls the funeral home, that means one of these guys is going to get out of bed and they're going to come down to the, to the hospital at 3 in the morning and they're going to get your loved one and they're going to take them back to the funeral home and they're going to start embalming them right there on the spot. And embalming takes anywhere from, you know, two, three, four, five, six hours, depending on the, on the case. And so here, you know, your, your funeral director will have lost a night's sleep to get your loved one taken care of. And then that next morning, about 10 o'clock, when you go in and see them and they've got their coat and tie on looking very professional and so on. This is someone that's had no sleep because they've been taking care of you and your family. And so, you know, again, the, the same person that came and got your loved one and embalmed your loved one is now the one who's meeting with you to talk about all the various um, arrangements and so forth that go with the funeral. And even if someone picks cremation over a standard service where they don't, you know, they don't, they don't have to get a casket and all that kind of stuff, still the funeral directors do an awful lot. They help you with, you know, resolving stuff with life insurance policies. They help you with Social Security. They help you, you know, get all the, you know, if you're having a funeral service at church, they got to get the things lined out with the priest, with the church, with the organist, with the singers. You know, um, if you're going to have a funeral dinner, they get that all lined out for you. My point is they do an awful lot. And whatever, you know, whatever you spend, you know, with, with these people takes a lot of grief off of your plate at a time when you're going through a lot of grief. And so, uh, again, I, I think that it, it's important to understand that while funerals are expensive and they're getting more expensive, this isn't money that's just going flat into somebody's pocket. You know, people are working very hard. And, um, and again, these are very ethical and hardworking people um, that make all this happen. So again, you know, the, the, in this first part of the program, I just kind of wanted to go over some of the, of the, um, the, the basics then of what the church teaches about cremation because it's, it's getting more and more popular. You know, here in Hayes, America, I think somebody told me a while back that something like 40% of our funerals now are cremations, and, um, and the number is growing. Um, we're, we're, I think before too long, we'll probably be at 50 or 60%. And so um, as, as cremation is growing in, in, in popularity, again, the church teaches as long as someone's not being cremated to deny the resurrection of the dead, it's okay. It really always, kind of always has been. A lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, the church says cremation is bad. No, the church says the denial of the resurrection of the body is bad. And if you're doing cremation to deny the resurrection of the body, then cremation is bad, but only secondarily because it denies the resurrection of the body. Cremation in and of itself is neither here nor there. And so, again, that's kind of the, you know, we kind of want to lay the groundwork um, for, for the second part of the program now. We'll take a little break now and hear from the folks that sponsor our programming here. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. 
Hey gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And again, as I said in the first part of this broadcast, the the title of this of this installment of Double Edged Sword, I'm calling Ashes to Ashes because we're talking about cremation, and I'm in, in you know kind of along with cremation talking about funeral rites. And so what we did in the first part of the program was I just kind of went through some of the biblical stuff and some of the church documentation talking about funerals and cremations and what we should and what we should not do. And um, the, the kind of the two basic principles of, of cremation from the, Catholic, um, from the Catholic teachings and the Catholic standpoint are quite, are quite simply this. The first is, is that cremation is not allowed if someone is doing it to deny the resurrection of the body. Okay, again, I think that's kind of a sort of a moot argument because I think if someone wants to deny the resurrection of the body, they're not going to care what the Catholic Church teaches anyway. But nonetheless, the Church teaches that if, if someone want, is saying, look, I'm going to cremate this body because after you die, you know, your spirit might go on, but your body, you know, there's, there's, not, there's no resurrection of the body, then the Church says, well, then that cremation, you shouldn't do it. Um, but if, it's, if cremation is being done for cultural reasons, you know, in some cultures, that's all they do is cremations. Or if, you know, someone thinks there's some sort of economic reason, maybe there's a sanitary reason, you know, maybe someone's got some terrible contagious disease and the only way to make sure that the disease doesn't go any further is to, you know, burn the body, cremate the body and kill all the organisms, you know, th- that could be a reason as well. And so, you know, the, the, the first principle then is, is that cremation is only permitted provided it's not being done to deny the, the resurrection of the body. And then the second one is, the second principle is, is that the, once, once you cremate someone, the ashes have to be treated with the same dignity with which we treat, you know, a dead body, you know, an embalmed body, or even if it's not embalmed, it doesn't matter. And so the, the idea then is, is that um, if someone, you know, if someone dies and they're cremated and we have, we have this urn full of ashes, as I kind of alluded to in the last, last section of the, of the program, the problem is, again, I call it the goo factor or the ick factor. You know, let's just call it what it is. When you have a dead body, you by necessity have to act in a certain way, all right? First of all, you know, you have to get the person buried in a timely manner. Because, you know, no matter how good of a job the, the embalmer did with the embalming, embalming only lasts, you know, so long. I don't know how long. You probably have to talk, ask a funeral director about it. I'm guessing at the longest, an embalming job will probably last a couple of weeks before you start having some, you know, problems with decay and decomposition. You could probably stretch that a little bit further if you kept the embalmed person in a refrigerator. But, um, but nonetheless, though... When you have a body, again, just because of the of imminent and and you know the fact that you can't get around the fact that there will soon, at some point or other, be some be decomposition and rotting, whatever you want to call it, that necessarily means you have to act in a certain way. You know, the body is in the casket. The body has to be kept. You know, it has to be treated with reverence and respect, and then you know eventually, you know, sooner rather than later, put into the ground. Once you have the person cremated. The goo or the ick factor kind of goes away. You have this pile of ashes, you have this container full of ashes that are not going to decompose anymore. Um, there's no chance of disease or anything with it. You just have this inert pile of ashes. Well, then the problem with that is, though, then, is that that inert pile of ashes then opens itself up. Again, this is an important distinction. This is not to say that cremation in and of itself is bad. And the church is not saying that, and I am not saying that, okay? Cremation in and of itself is not bad. Cremation in and of itself is just one more way of disposing of a dead body. But what I am saying is cremation opens up the door to all sorts of goofy things going on. All right. And as we kind of go back here again to paragraph 417 out of the funeral ritual, which is, you know, kind of the instruction on how we're supposed to deal with funerals and everything. And this is out of Appendix 2, and it talks about cremation. Well, kind of, we went through this a little bit in the last segment. I'll kind of go through it this time and add some stories to kind of illustrate the point. 
Again, paragraph 417 says, The cremated remains of a body should be treated with the same respect given to the human body from which they came. This includes the use of a worthy vessel to contain the ashes, the manner in which they are carried, and care and attention to appropriate placement, transport, and final disposition. Okay, so in other words, you know, we want to, we don't just want to take the the ashes and put them in a Ziploc bag and say, you know, there you go. All right. Then it says the cremated remains should be buried in a grave or entombed in a mausoleum or columbarium. In case you don't know, a columbarium is one of those walls where it has a bunch of little openings in it called a niche. And they're, you know, they're always covered over with a piece of marble or something. And so they'll open up the thing. You put the, the urn in the, in the little niche there and you put the marble thing over it and seal it in there. All right. And so um, th- those are all, you know, noble ways of, of, of disposing of, of, of ashes. But then, it, then the church specifically says, the practice of scattering cremated remains on the sea from the air or on the ground or keeping cremated remains in the home of a relative or friend of the deceased are not the reverent disposition the church requires. Okay. Now, here's where we run into trouble in our times because people will have, they'll get the, you know, the ashes of their, of their loved one. And let's say they, they have a funeral mass. They do everything they're supposed to do. I mean, you know, maybe they, you know, they have the urn there at the funeral home with a photograph of the person next to the urn so people can see what they look like. And we say our rosary and we do, we do our, our vigil for the deceased and all that kind of good stuff. And then afterwards, the next day, we pick up the urn, go to the, go to the church, say a funeral mass for them. You know, everybody participates in the mass or anything. And then after mass, everybody just goes off to the funeral dinner. And it's like, well, what are you going to do with these ashes? Well, we're going to take them out to dad's favorite fishing hole and, you know, pour them in the river. No, that's not allowed. Okay. Why? Because you're not treating the ashes the way you would treat the dead human body. Would you take dad's embalmed body and go dump it in the river? I don't think so. Okay. Um, or, you know, again, this whole idea of scattering, you know, well, you know, we're, we're going to take mom, you know, up in Colorado. There was a, a view that she always, you know, admired from up in the Rockies. And, and we're going to take the plastic bag full of ashes and, you know, pour them into the wind up there in the Rocky Mountains. Well, again, would you take mom's dead body up there and dump it over the side of a ravine? I don't think so. All right. Um, and so, again, this is this is what we mean by the cremated remains of a body should be treated with the same respect given to the human body from which they came. That's a direct quote um, from paragraph 417 in the church's ritual for um, disposing of cremated remains of a cremated body. Okay. Also, then it says the idea of keeping the cremated remains in the home of a relative or friend of the deceased. You know, you'll, you'll go into someone's house and up there on the mantle, you know, there's an urn up there. Well, that's Uncle Bob. It's like, well, okay, would you keep Uncle Bob's body in a casket in your basement? Would you, t- would you take Uncle Bob's body and put it in a, you know, seal it in a stainless steel casket and, you know, keep it up in your, in your living room and, you know, put a cloth over the top and use it for a table or something? Of course you wouldn't. That's just goofy. That's strange. That's even macabre, right? Well, what the church is saying is then don't do it with, with ashes either. What you're going to, what you're going to do with a human body, you do with ashes and by, you know, and so that, that's the way that's supposed to be handled. Again, the problem is, is once you have ashes, then the temptation is there or the opportunity is there not to treat the body with that same respect. And the, the stories out there are just amazing. I mean, some of the stories I've heard, you know, they'll sit there and say, yeah, you know, we took Uncle John's ashes and loaded up into shotgun shells and then went out to the gun club and, you know, blew his blew his ashes out the, you know, we all had 40 shotgun shells and, of Uncle Bob and we shot them all out into the air. Well, you know, again, would you take Uncle Bob's body parts and stuff them down your, your shotgun your shotgun barrel and blow them out into the, of course you wouldn't. Okay, again, that's just goofy. It's strange. Um, it's sick is what it is. And so, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. One of the other things I've noticed I've seen lately that, again, I think is just it's just really goofy is um, you can buy jewelry that has like little, little, they look like little test tubes, only they're threaded on one end. And so, you know, before they bury Aunt Sue, anybody that wants can take their little tube up there and scoop some of the ashes out, and then it screws onto a pendant, and you can go around wearing, you know, part of Aunt Sue around your neck, you know, and, and you know, scooping out some ashes in this, in this kooky jewelry. Well, again, you know, 
imagine a funeral where you're at the funeral vigil or something like that, and they say, "Well, we're getting ready to close the we're getting ready to close the casket now. Does anybody want to be part of Aunt Sue? You know, we can cut off a finger and ear. You can wear it around your neck. You know, and again, that'd just be goofy. That'd be strange. You know, people would think you you belong in a loony bin or something. Well. It's so again, it's the same principle. What we're going to do with a body, we should do with the ashes. Um, one story I have is, you know, back in 2007 when Mon- when um, Father Albert de Sanctis over in Ellis, he died from a, a subdural hematoma, kind of a blood clot on his brain. And so from September, from November of 2007 until July of 2008, I was running the parish at Ellis as well as teaching full time at TMP and running the Catholic Campus Center. And so, um, when we, you know, thanks be thankfully we got toward the end of the school year, so my workload lightened a little bit, and I just had the campus center and the parish. And the secretary out there calls up one day and says, "Father, you know, we're we we're having a burial up at the cemetery here on Tuesday. She called on Monday or whatever. Maybe it was Wednesday. I don't know, but." Um, she says, you know, this person died back in November. I said, well, please tell me they cremated him. She goes, yeah, they cremated him. And, and so, um, you know, we'll have so-and-so from, I don't know who it was, from the funeral home or from the, the cemetery or whatever. They'll go, you know, dig the grave. And, and then you just meet the family out there at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning and, and you know, bury the person. I said, no problem. I'm happy to do it. So I go over there. I have my alibi, you know, that white gown that the priests wear. I put my white stole on for a funeral. I have my book, my funeral book and everything. And I'm standing out there and just kind of going through the Ellis Cemetery, St. Mary's Cemetery, and kind of looking at the names. And because I'd kind of gotten to know some of the of the families there, and it's like, oh, okay, that must be so and so's grandparents. So that must be so and so's, you know, spouse or whatever, you know, and so on. You know, going through cemeteries is a good way to get to kind of get to know a community. Well, then. So right, you know, about you know, ten till ten or so, you hear this rum, 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 a diesel engine, you know, and um, and at the entrance of the cemetery, this gigantic um, RV comes driving in, and um, and I thought, good lord, they're not going to get that thing out of here. It's so huge, and you know, the old diesel engines humming along and everything, and you know, they come in, and I'm over on the passenger side, and this lady roll, you know, hits the the switch, and the electric window comes down, and she goes, "Are you the priest?" And I'm going. No, I'm the grave digger, honey. The priest is the guy over there with the overalls and the shovel. What do you think? Of course I'm the priest. I got an album, so I got a book on. What do you expect, you know? And I said, well, yeah. And, and then she just reaches over it over on the, you know, between the the, her, the passenger seat and the, and the driver's seat. And she picks up this urn and she hands it out the window. Well, here's Carl. Thank you very much. And they just drove off. Okay. It was the strangest thing. You know, they, she just hands this urn out the window the old diesel engine fires up and out they went and so i just took carl over there and you know said the prayers and gave him a little burial service by myself you know but this is my point is that you know no one would ever do that with a dead body you know no one would come up you know with their rv and say well carl's body's there in the back you know here we'll just dump it on the ground here and we'll see you later bye okay no one would ever do that and so you know this is what the church is saying that whenever we're going to, whenever we're um, disposing of ashes, it has to be done with the same care, reverence, devotion, and affection that we would do with the, with the body. Okay, and I think this is the reason why the church again it doesn't it doesn't deny cremation. The church is not forbidding cremation, but as again as we saw in in the um, in some of the earlier documentation, it says the church earnestly recommends. Okay, that means it recommends you know very strongly that when it comes funeral time that there be a body with a casket so that, again, so people can say their goodbyes, so people can, you know, properly grieve and everything. And then we put this body in the ground because when we treat the dead body with respect, we're also saying, look, this body, even though now it is dead and decomposing, at one time it was a temple of the Holy Spirit. And at one time, the Holy Spirit dwelt within this body. And, and so when, whenever we show respect for, for the dead, you know, with our funeral rites, I think, again, going back to the book of Tobit, it's something I think that's just pleasing to God. You know, the, you know, Tobit says that he took it upon himself to go out and give decent burials to people who otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't have had a decent burial. And so, again, and it's in, the, it's in the scriptures. It's, you know, kept there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, I think we can safely conclude that... The respectful and reverential disposal of a body through funeral rituals and, you know, again, through having the body in a casket and going out to the cemetery and burying them in the ground and so on, that this is somehow pleasing to God. I think, you know, God likes that. 
Again, is that to say that God's going to be upset with someone because they had someone cremated? I am not saying that at all. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. I am not saying that God would not be happy if someone you know chose cremation. What I am saying is, is that when people choose cremation, cremation seems to open itself up to all sorts of strange things. Again, like I said, you know, before loading up shotgun shells with with the you know with ashes of someone that died, or you know, dumping someone's ashes over into a ravine and letting the wind carry them away, or you know, again, the story I just told about the people that come over and just drop you know this guy's ashes off and drive off on their vaca- on their vacation. I even heard one time a story about a young person that died. He was, you know, part of the whole marijuana culture. His mom kept half of the ashes and his buddies took the other half of the ashes and spaded them into the ground in their marijuana patch to fertilize their marijuana patch with. I mean, again, where, where, where does this stuff end? And then when you add to that, you know, the the jewelry that they have, you know, the little tubes and, you know, scoop in part of, you know, grandma in in some tube and then, you know, wear it as a necklace or, you know, little ones wear them as earrings or something like that. So you can go around and say, yeah, I got part of grandpa here around my neck, you know. I mean, again, that's just goofy. And that isn't, you know, that's what the church is kind of trying to avoid um, by having the, by having us, you know, reverentially and, and, and respectfully dispose of the body, bodies of the dead. That, you know, that we do this in a way that's in keeping with longstanding tradition, going back all the way back to our Jewish roots, you know, in the 8th century B.C. And so, again, I think this, this is something that really kind of um, is important for us to think about, especially as cremation is gaining more and more popularity. Um, the, the, what we're finding, especially in the bigger cities where real estate is very, very valuable, people just figure, well, you know, spending a jillion dollars on a, on a piece of property, you know, for a cemetery is not a very good use of resources. I'm perfectly willing to accept that. I got no trouble with that at all. And then, and so when people say, well, you know, we don't want to, our only choice, you know, in downtown Chicago is to either have to drive, you know, an hour and a half to get out of town to some cemetery somewhere, um, rather than spending, you know, big dollars on, on prime real estate in the middle of town for a cemetery. I understand that. I think any reasonable person would. And so, again, in the bigger cities, especially, this is where there are, almost all the funerals are cremations. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But we're going to have to impose upon ourselves the discipline of treating these cremated remains, you know, these ashes, these, you know, containers full of ashes. We have to impose the discipline upon ourselves to treat these with reverence and respect. Again, when you have a dead body there, the discipline is imposed upon us by nature. When you have the dead body, you don't really have any choice but to treat the body with reverence and respect because, you know, it's there, it's been embalmed, you know, they've been, it's been washed and dressed and it's in the casket and everything. And that necessarily demands us to, you know, to act in a certain way. And so the, the, you know, the disciplines of, of reverence and respect are imposed upon us by nature. But once you cremate that body and once you have nothing but, a, again, a container full of ashes there that's not going to decompose anymore, it's not going to you know, become a health hazard or anything like that, well, then, like I said, it just seems like it opens itself up to all sorts of screwy things and crazy ideas that people have. And so that's why, again, you know, the, the two principles of cremation from the church are, again, number one, we cannot cremate if we're doing so to deny the resurrection of the body. Again, I think that's kind of a moot argument because I think that people who deny the resurrection of the body aren't going to care what the church says about anything anyway. They're going to go off and do their own thing. But nonetheless, it's there. But then secondly, then, you know, this is one I think that really kind of hits home with most of us is we have to treat those ashes after the cremation process, we have to treat those ashes with the same respect and reverence that we would treat the body from which they came. That's almost a direct quote from the holy book. And so, um, you know, whenever we get the ashes, you know, they need to be either buried in the ground. And, um, you know, we're seeing more and more people doing this with cemeteries, you know, with a, you know, a standard cemetery plot. You know, you could probably bury six or eight urns in one of those. And the only problem that you come up with is, well, how do you mark all these on the tombstone? Um, that's going to kind of turn into an issue. I know that, again, more and more, more and more cemeteries are putting up columbarium, columbaria, that's the plural, which, again, are just, you know, rows and rows and rows of little openings where you can, you know, they, they had, they're faced off with a little piece of marble or something or granite. And you pull that off, you put the urn inside it, and then they use some kind of caulking or something and put the thing back in to where the only way you're going to get back into that niche is by busting it open with a sledgehammer. And so, you know, they're pretty secure in there. And so in mausoleums or columbaria or, again, just buried in the ground, um, that's, that's the way that we want to do this. 
And again, like I said at the end of the, of the first segment, you know, we're very blessed in haste to have very ethical, competent, and hardworking funeral directors. And so whenever we have to, you know, go through all these various um, decisions and so on, they're there to, you know, to work with us and to help us out. And um, we should be very grateful, you know, for that. Because again, I don't, I don't know what it's like in every town, but I just know here in Hayes, we've got great funeral directors and they're, they're very good about, um, about helping the, you know, their clients out and making sure that, um, you know, things are done and done right. So again, I think that um, as we've taken some time here to talk about funeral rituals and cremations and what we do and, you know, what we don't do, the, the, the important thing is that we understand the, the, the main thing the church is getting across is, is that we treat the ashes the same way we would treat the body from which they came. And I think that by, you know, keeping those things in mind, it helps us to maintain a, you know, a greater sense of decorum and respect and reverence, you know, for the person that's died. And I think I'll close this section of, of Double-Edged Sword talking about ashes to ashes and, and with um, your various funeral rites. Um, the last thing I want to add to it, it has nothing to do with cremation, but just something, something I think we all kind of need to be brought up to speed on, and that is, you know, praying for the dead, you know, having masses offered for the dead, just taking it upon ourselves to maybe go to the church and, you know, offer a rosary for the repose of the soul of someone that died. Um, this, is, this is all part of our Catholic piety. And, and I think that what's happened recently over the past few years or so is that you go to a funeral mass, and rather than it being an act of commending a soul to God for a merciful judgment, that's what we're hoping for. We're asking God to take this soul that he created into his loving embrace and give them a merciful judgment. But instead, most funeral masses, you know, you listen to people talk and sad to say, you listen to most of the priests talk. And it's not commending a soul to God for a merciful judgment. It just as well be a canonization mass. You know, you'll hear people say all sorts of things like, well, you know, mom's in a better place now. Dad's with the angels. Grandma is with singing with the saints. We don't know that, folks. We don't know that for sure. And so that's why we pray for them. Because you stop and think about it. If we're just so cocksure that just because someone died, they went to heaven, then take them to the funeral home, do whatever you're going to do there. We have them cremated, have them embalmed, whatever. And then after that's done, just go to the cemetery and bury them. Because if, if we're so sure that they're in heaven, why bring them to mass, you know, bring them to church for a mass? There's no need for one. And so I, I think that one of the things that we kind of need to sort of rekindle in, in ourselves is not so much in Hayes, America, but in other parts of the diocese, um, it's, pr it's getting pretty bad where, you know, people, you know, they have, they have the dead buried and no one has any masses said for these people. Nobody prays for them. And you just kind of wonder how many souls are languishing in purgatory because their family is just so sure they're in heaven now that they don't offer, they don't pray for them, they don't do anything for them. And so, you know, I, again, here in Hayes, it's good to see that, you know, the pious devotion that people have after someone dies, you know, when you go to the, go to the mortuary on the evening of the vigil and also on the day of the funeral back in the back of the church, you know, they'll have the, the mortuary people, you know, bring up, bring up little envelopes and stuff. And, you know, people can leave memorials there for the, you know, the hospice of Hayes or the Cancer Society or, you know, whatever kind of cause. Um, sometimes it's, you know, to the, for the benefit of the parish. And then, but then, you know, the other, the other box in there is they can say for masses. And so, you know, people will come in after the death of one of their loved ones and sit down with our, with our office manager at the, at one of the parishes here in town and say, okay, well, you know, I've got, you know, I've got this much, you know, X number of dollars here and I want to have so many masses said, you know, for the repose of the soul of this loved one of mine who died. Okay, that's all great stuff and we need to keep that up because, again, in some parts of the diocese, no one is having these masses said anymore. You know, and, and again, people are dying and people are just sure that they're with the angels or sure they're with God and they don't pray for them. Well, you know, the thing of it is, is praying for the dead is, is a no-lose situation. You can't lose because let's say, you know, you've got Billy Bob who died. And um, maybe Billy Bob was kind of a scalawag, but he was sort of good at heart. And so he manages to get into purgatory, but he's got a lot of time to do in purgatory because, you know, he has some pretty, pretty nasty rough edges that need to be polished down before he's ready for heaven. Well, then we'll say masses for him. The most powerful prayer in the world is the mass. And we'll say mass for him, you know, so that they're ready to be, you know, they can, God can prepare them for, for eternity in heaven. 
and to help out with that process. On the other hand, if Billy Bob did end up just kind of waiting by the folks in purgatory as he went up into heaven, well then, you know, because of our belief in the communion of saints, even though Billy Bob doesn't need the merits of that mass, doesn't need the benefits of that mass, God will provide them to some poor forgotten soul who does need them, all right? And so, again, you can't miss. You know, if you're not helping out the person that you want to help, either because they're already in heaven or because they're in hell, you know, someone goes in hell, you know, there's there's no point in praying for them because they're just lost forever. That's what that's part of the definition of hell. But nonetheless, if a person's in heaven and doesn't need the prayers or if a person's in hell and, and the prayers won't do them any good, the prayers will be applied to some soul that does need them. And in so doing, then, you know, we unwittingly gain another friend in heaven, you know, someone that's going to be up there, you know, with with God's ear saying, yeah, you know, I remember when so-and-so came in and had this mass said for their mom. Well, their mom was our, you know, made it through purgatory, you know, in, in a very short amount of time. And she's been in heaven ever since. And it's because of the merits of that and the benefits of that mass that I'm now in heaven. Heaven, well, of course now I'm going to pray for that person. And so, again, you know, we can't miss. If we end up helping our loved one, you know, through the process of purgatory and getting to heaven, then great. Um, if, if that person doesn't need the prayers because they're already in heaven, or sad to say if they're in hell, but then, you know, then those prayers get applied to someone else, then they're going to be in heaven and they're going to be rooting for us there as well. So again, I think that you know, as we're as we're talking about cremations and funerals and things like that, one of the things that needs to go along with it is, you know, a, a reminder of the good and pious devotion that we have of praying for the dead. That and that can take many forms. You know, whether you know we're at mass, you know, there's in every Eucharistic prayer, there's a spot there where the priest says, you know, we pray for those who have died. Well, before we go to mass, part of our preparation would be, okay, I'm coming to mass and I'm going to remember. My grandma, I remember my mom, my grandpa or whatever who died. And when that comes up in the Eucharistic prayer, offer that name up to God. And then, of course, you know, in, in right after people die, you know, again, in, in Ellis County, still thanks be to God. And we have the good, healthy, pious devotion of people coming in and having masses said for the deceased. And um, that's a good thing and it needs to be continued. And so if you're, you know, dealing with other people, other family members or friends in other parishes, you know, you might kind of ask them, you know, what's it like in your parish for, you know, the offering masses for the dead and, and, and praying for the, you know, praying for the deceased. Um, those are very good and holy things. Again, it's one of the core, one of the spiritual works of mercy is to pray for the dead. And um, as Catholics, you know, the best way we have to pray for the dead is to have um, um, masses offered for their intention. The various parishes, we have different policies. So just check with your parish, whether here or in Hayes or whether it's in Great Bend, and find out what their policy is for um, how, like how many masses you can have, you know, and things like that. And then again, let's not forget the dead. Let's, you know, keep on praying for them and having masses said for them. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in. Just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. You can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword and also the One Body Program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you want to go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you want to listen to again. Also, check out our Donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio, and we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.